Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Two Brits, One Orange Ball podcast. My name is James Jeffrey and I'm joined by my bald-headed friend, Mark Littlewood. What is up, Jeffrey? How are you, my man? You good? I'm sleep deprived, bro. This NBA stuff is bad for me. I admire the commitment. Just a little disclaimer early on. You might notice I'm rocking an old school Bulls jersey. This is because we made a little wager. Unfortunately, my Knicks came up short in game one. It's been quite fun to have this little mini series. What was your, what was your sort of takeaways from... From, from the latest game, from game two. I was always very concerned about the lack of centre position, obviously with Wendell out, and then to have Otto go down as well, with again, back problems. I was I was nervous, mate. I was like, even in game one, I was looking at it and I was saying, yeah, I think, you know, it could be a big game for Mitch, could be a big game for Randall. And I wasn't sure how we'd, we'd cope with it, because, you know, I'm not I'm not particularly high on Mark and his defence. So I was I was I was impressed last night. Like I, obviously we were down twenty, I think, at one point, so like in the first quarter when I was thinking, will I will I won't I watch the game? I actually missed the first quarter, which was a good thing. But um, from all accounts, having looked at the bot score. Yeah, I was impressed that the fight that Levine specifically is showing at the moment. You can see him talking to people, you can see him trash talking to everyone and being like, You can't guard me. And you can see every time, you know, we score a bucket, whether he's involved or not, he's you know, he's motivated and he's he's just wanting to win and you can see see it clearly. And I don't think that was always the case, whether that was his fault or not. It's, it's been an exciting couple of games, you say. It's always nice when it's next scores anyway, you know. We, we we enjoy those ones. What about yourself, man? How do you find it? I was I was sweating. I was like, if I if we lose this fucking lead, we're 19 points up. We're smashing it. Very much aligned, mate. Like it's one brain sometimes. Going into things, my initial thoughts were exactly that: that Randall, Mitch, even Noel, I think was going to outmatch you guys inside. And I thought that it would be a really good, you know, physical confrontation for us that we would come out on top. Thadric Johnson had something to say about that. Some of those passes were insane. Stacey King was calling Thadric Johnson towards the end. They had me <laughs> really? absolutely, absolutely dying. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed. He's like 32 years old and he was going up against Randall, who's what, like 26? He's really stepped up for us in both games, I think. And uh, it was a tough task, man, as you say. Going to the game one with the Knicks, I think the most frustrating thing for me was just those backdoor cuts, man. And just not rotating out to the three-point line. I mean, like, illustrated by marking in 23-point first half, I think, who was absolutely on fire. I thought you guys played really, really well. From a Knicks standpoint, our energy was low. I think, obviously, we were just coming off a back-to-back against the Clippers. It's difficult, man, to go back-to-back. And, and also, your guys' record is misleading. I think that you've lost, like, what, five games this season and by a two-point margin? By you know, a of 11 that- points. You, you could argue that ultimately you guys are a, a 500 team. Like you, we pushed the Clippers, we pushed the Lakers at one point, admittedly, without Anthony Davis. Just to be competitive with those teams again is something that the last couple of years we're not used to. And it's just refreshing to kind of have at least a little bit of a head in the game, I suppose, with some of those bigger teams. Game one, admittedly, if, if we'd have won both, like you say, I would have been full Apollo Creed, entrance music, all sorts of stuff would have, <laughs> all sorts of stuff would have been happening and you'd have hated it. I, to be honest, I gave you enough on Twitter anyway after game, game one because, you know, I can't remember what you said exactly in the in the last podcast, but it was something along the lines of like, who are you going to beat though in the East? And I was like, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> so to, get, to get one against you guys, like, I, you know, I think we were we were 10 and 11 in the conference at the time as well, which is exactly what I pulled off in the prediction. So, all of that's kind of coming together, but I think, you know, it, it jokes aside, I think it's quite an exciting time for both of us because, like we said before, you can kind of go either way still. And you guys could just pull out a few extra wins, like you said, and not only a deceiving record, but a deceiving record against some really strong teams. We had a particularly difficult stretch of schedule at, at that early January stage. It's going to be quite exciting. February is going to be interesting for both of us, like whether we're able to kind of push into that seventh seed 
see where see what you know Cleveland are up there at the moment I think the Raptors are making a little bit of a comeback Jimmy's back at the heat there's all sorts going on in the east so again going back to the Knicks and Bulls one of the things that I've seen a lot of recently is obviously around surrounding you guy Emmanuel quickly who again was you know we'll talk about in more detail in a second but was incredible in both games I would say but what what are your thoughts man like I know everyone's kind of going oh quickly definitely should start over Peyton at the moment and obviously he's just had that big game offensively he's a guy who's known for his defense former college defensive player of the year Tibbs knows what he's doing he's, he's got you guys to be the highest rated defensive team in the league where do you sit on that argument it's a tough one man like I think the tendency is to get really excited like, IQ is electric man and he's he's come in he hasn't even missed a beat and he's been able to transcend transcend to that NBA level so quickly uh, no pun intended. I feel a little bit sorry for Alfred. I mean, even I've been guilty of it myself, man. I've tweeted out after a, you know, a particularly strong game from IQ saying 100%, man, this guy should be starting. Just because of his three-point shot and today's emphasis on the jumper, it spreads the floor. It gives RJ a greater balance in terms of slashing to the basket. It means that Mitch can be you know, utilised more in the pick and roll. It's a hard one, but then you, you know, ultimately also you see Alfred perform like he did last night, and you can almost see his confidence. He's battling all the time, and I've said to you many times. I say to anyone who speaks to me about it that Alfred Payton is a very good guard. He's an NBA caliber guard. Unfortunately, he just hasn't been able to get a consistent jump shot. It doesn't mean that he can't contribute towards winning, and that illustrated it last night. I mean, he came out and he played aggressive. He was able to attack the paint. He was, you know, getting layup. He finished with like 20 points, eight, eight rebounds, six assists. So a very much a well-rounded uh, game. So to be honest, man, it needs to be a little bit of patience from Knicks fans. There needs to be a little bit more maturation, I think, on the IQ side of things. And also from, from Alfred's point of view, I think that he's still got a lot to give this Knicks team. And I can kind of understand and see why Tibbs is, is reluctant to to put IQ into the firing line straight away in only his rookie season. You know, it's really interesting to see what Tibbs is doing with those rotations as well in terms of minutes for both Peyton and Quickly. And whilst Peyton does always start at the moment, I think he had, what, 17 minutes in game one with five points, but had a much better game in, in game two, 34 minutes. And you see Quickly, although he's the backup, you know, in that first game, he had, you know, what, 13 more minutes than than Peyton at 30 minutes a game with 16 points and six rebounds, seven assists. And then that's that second game, he wasn't performing as well. So he only got 13 minutes. You know, it's a nice luxury to have in, in some ways, I suppose, at that point guard position, because as you'll probably would have seen um, from our situation, you know, Kobe White struggling, man. Like, and, you know, we talked about with this already, like Kobe is a combo guard being put into a point guard position. That is not easy, especially at the NBA level. We've seen it time and time again. We saw it with Westbrook early in his career. And now, you know, I think it's pretty glaring when, especially in game two, how much he's kind of struggling, I think, confidence-wise on the ball, especially bringing the ball up. And, you know, with the defensive team like yourselves, I think he gave it up to Levine a number of occasions. Billy Donovan has already talked about him being a shooter and not a scorer. Yeah, I don't know what you thought of Kobe White, man, in comparison to those guys. But our point guard position is a struggle and we've even been in rumours for Lonzo Ball like yourselves and maybe even Derek Rose, who knows? <laughs> You'd have to get that one in there, wouldn't you, man? You'd lose your oh, shit mate. if Derek Rose comes I, back. I still want it to happen so bad. Like, just have a veteran point guard. Like, why not? Just get get rid of Satransky or something I mean, like that. Like, in, in all honesty, man, like, I think one of the things that's really cool for both Bulls and Knicks, as we've kind of outlined a few times, is that there are parallels and that at the minute we're very much in the same trajectory and you can you can kind of relate 
player upon player and do comparisons between both teams. One of which for me is Larry Markkinen. He typifies to me the frustrations that I feel from Alfred Payton. If he's aggressive, there'll be games where he can go off and he looks like he's taking that next level. And you're like, wow, if he can do this consistently, we've got something here. But then the next game, there's no aggression, there's no desire, and, and they'll just go missing for large stretches. And I think that separates the good from the great players in this league. I know that you've obviously had frustrations with, with Larry for a few years now, but, but where are you kind of at with him and what's your kind of ceiling? Because I was really impressed, especially in that first game. Granted, we were, we were leaving him open, but he was aggressive and he looked like a real offensive threat. He shows flashes, like he even had that dunk last night where you're like, oh, like, do you know what I mean? Like, we need more of this. And yeah, that first game, even the game before, I think he was averaging 30 on those two games. Really, really impressive, like you say. And he just goes missing. Like, I don't know what happens with him, but he goes from 30 a game to nine points in the space of a game. And you think, you know, you look at someone like LeBron, as you say, who epitomised the greatness that you're talking about. I think he's gone something like a thousand plus games with ten, at least 10 points in a game. And in a game, let's be honest, for both of us, it was, you know, arguably winnable on both sides. You'd obviously had the back-to-back. We had a couple of guys missing. It was there for the taking for both teams, really. And you just wanted to see that from him specifically because all, all he had to do was, you know, make a few of those threes. I think, I can't remember what we were from the field, but it was something like six for 32 from three. And I was like, man, like, all you need is a few of those to drop and it's, it goes from being a close game to more similar to the first one. That's the problem with your balls at the moment, like especially as we don't have anywhere near the calibre of defence that you have. If those threes are falling, if Larry's hot, if he's doing the things that we expect of him, the chances are Levine's going to do his thing and we're going to be fine. But, you know, a combination of that, the mismatch of someone like Randall, who was guarded by Denzel Valentine, who... Um, Denzel's <laughs> one of those guys, man, like... You know when you play local league and there's this one guy who thinks he's Michael Jordan but has no skill set whatsoever. Like sometimes you just do stuff like that where I'm like, what are you? And you've seen it in Shaq to the fact where he just does some like crazy pass and you're like, mate, just, just, just finish the, the layup that was right in front of you. Like, what do you mean? Like, what are you doing? It's obviously a struggle for Valentine. It has been for a long time, but to get to match up with someone like Randall with with Otto out, it was it was just too much. And um, coming back to Lowry, I think when he's he's struggling that hard, it's just too much for Levine on his own. I'm so impressed with Levine, man, and I just really want him to get the credit he deserves because now he's kind of being respected more and people are starting to notice because of his numbers going up that just a little bit more. Another guy that I, I wanted to, to touch upon as well, and we'd like to get your thoughts on Lowry too in a second, but Patrick Williams, obviously our rookie, and in addition to Patrick Williams, Obi Toppin, who I, again, another person that because of the things we just talked about, I thought might this might be his breakout game because of the, the matchup was so favorable for him, but still, still not kind of taking that step up, whether that's because of injuries, whether that's because of confidence at this stage, lack of game time, I, I'm not sure. But what did you think of those two guys from those, those couple of games? I think Obi's a difficult one, man. I mean, obviously to start with the Knicks stuff. I, I love Obi, mate electric, exciting, rim runner. I think Tibbs is, again, doing a very good job at just trying to calm expectations a little bit and remembering that he is a rookie and that he's got to learn the game. It's not easy for someone to come in and handle the expectation. It's a difficult one. It's been a bit disjointed for Obi. He has only played like a handful of games, minutes because of the ascension of, of Julius Randle and, and the compliments that you know he's been able to get with Mitch and then with Noel. That's limited his playing time a little bit and I think he's still coming back from injury. Patrick Williams, I really like him, man. I think that he is offensively raw from an eye test from what I saw, but a tremendous on-ball elite defender. 
And I think that once he becomes rounded and sort of has a season under his belt where he's been able to iron out some of the kinks offensively, I can see him being a real big elite two-way player. And I think, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, I think he was up caught on RJ quite a lot in the first game. And you really saw the, you know, the difference that RJ was struggling to handle that guy. That Granted, first half, I think he had like two points, something like that. Mate, and I, that was, it was the, impressive. Yeah, Hit the nail on the head, man. I was so impressed. I was like, what? Like, don't get me wrong, RJ still knew himself, but to put to put clamps on him like that, I was like, let's go. Um, and he's been he's been guarding the top top players in the league. He's been guarding Giannis. He's been guarding LeBron. He's been guarding Kawhi, who's you know is one of his favorite players. And yeah, it's uh, just crazy impressive for a guy that's 19. And, and I'm really excited for him. And I, I'm really looking forward to his development. I think offensively, you're right. He's so composed is one thing that I I always think about him. Never sort of rushing shots or anything like that. His mid-range jumper is is probably one of his biggest strengths, I'd say, and it's just pretty like it's uh, a little bit unconventional. He like rele- his release points a little bit funky. So uh, he's just smooth, man, and I like it. And yeah, Obi, I, I'm hoping to see very similarly. To be fair, like both raw guys, obviously Patrick's got a heck of a lot more time because of the build of the Bulls roster. Um, he just fits so much better because we don't have a Julius Randle or a, you know someone in, in his position. So he's got a bit more shine to him. But it's nice to see that you know, although Obi hasn't necessarily got those minutes quickly has and he's I think top five in the rookie of the year votes at the moment led by Alonzo Ball which I did not call I, I, you know hands up again I was wrong I, I wasn't sure he was going to come out the way he has and he's been playing some pretty exceptional basketball and uh, yeah you mean the mellow you mean the mellow ball right did I say Lonzo? Oh, I forgot to say. That's what Mikey did. It's got, I've got it from Mikey. Mikey, it's your fault, man. That brings us on to the, the podcast with Vince today, who I know is a big friend of the Bull family. They played in London a couple of years ago at the Copper Box with him and his brother. So uh, I've got a few questions for, for Vince very shortly about that. But for those of you that don't know, Vince is the current owner and head coach of the London Lions, having been introduced to the game by British basketball legend Jimmy Rogers. Vince went on to play at the Brixton Topcats, Tower Hamlets and London Towers as well as the Hemel Royals, where I think he was not only a player, but a coach and an owner. So he did all three in one season. Not sure how long for, but something that we'll, we'll ask him later on. He then later went on to establish the London Lions as we know them today in 2012, and just after the Olympics. He'd spent four years prior to that as the Milton Keynes head coach. Dave Forrester, the, the previous assistant at the Newcastle Eagles when Fab Fanoi was there, called him the greatest survivor in British basketball and referred to you know the brutal decision in a recent podcast with Dan Routledge about that disqualification, which I think we all very much empathise with, knowing Vince's history. And it was obviously gutting to see his emotions in that cup final after receiving that news. And I think we're all, we were all so behind the Lions in the Basketball Champions League. You know, we just wanted to have that additional chance for those guys. But again, it's not to say that we won't see it next year. And I think his ambition is, with the investment he's had from 77 Partners, that he will be looking at a five-year plan so i think that's something that's definitely on the horizon so yeah so welcome vince mccauley thank you for coming on man pleasure to be here with you guys looking forward to these next few minutes or however long it takes to, to share the love we've, we've caught you on a lot of podcasts and obviously you were heading down to plymouth yesterday for the sky game how, how was it for you was it a, a decent trip yeah it was it was a decent trip uh not to be able to help out the guys on sky because everybody else was playing and kieran wasn't available and as it worked out nicely for us we're playing um, Plymouth a couple of days after that game. So yeah, it was good to see them up there in the flesh and, and take some of that in and have a chat with, with Anthony Rowe and Danny Routledge. Nice nice little scouting trip at the same time, I reckon. <laughs> Long way to go though. <laughs> yeah. The last couple of weeks have been a little bit different for yourself. Obviously, when we first um, prepped for this interview, I think we were 
you know, obviously expecting a lot of different things to have happened in the last last couple. But I saw obviously the positive side of that. Liggins and your guys are back. It seems out of isolation. I think I saw them on their Instagram training and things like that. Everyone's okay and, and back to training now, I assume. Yes, everyone's okay. <clears throat> you know, I mean, um, it's a it's a respiratory type of illness, so we've got to be careful. Obviously, the guys are in great shape, so you know the impact on them wasn't wasn't great. Most of the guys had no symptoms whatsoever. A couple of guys had a few breathing issues here and there. Obviously, we monitor the guys, you know, hearts and, and so on through our practices and stuff. So. We've got something to compare with when they were here prior to the infection. And yeah, I think we're very much back on, on, on track uh, and mentally very much back on track. Oh, that's excellent. And uh, I know you've obviously had the Sky game yesterday, but how, how have you been sort of processing the events of, you know, what, what happened around that time and what have you been using the time for, I suppose? Because I assume that you, you've had to, to take a bit of a step back in some ways as well. The biggest thing initially was to deal with the, the mental loss of what we were gunning for vis-a-vis every competition in, in the BBL and to try to get to the final fours in Europe, which was our goal. And that you know, We were very much focused on that goal for so many reasons. It was a prime driver in a lot of players coming to play for the London Lions. It was the prime driver in bringing additional players. You know, we had Doral Moore here with us, who'd been practicing for three weeks, uh, ready to go with us to Europe. It, it was interesting because with the final coming up, we were preparing to, it, it was like, well, hang on a minute. Do you prepare for the final and ignore Europe, which is two days later? And if you prepare for Europe, what happens to your preparation for the final? You know, as a coach, you don't like to think beyond the next game. So, you know, in that period of time, what we were doing was generally identifying individuals from the European teams, and we would have them running on a loop in, on, on our screen, our, our practice, stuff like that. So guys, you know, at breaks so or when they were eating, they would check it out. So we were slowly imbibing that information into the guys. So that's how we were kind of rolling. When the infection situation happened, it, it was a very difficult one. I immediately realized the impact, of, you know, what, what, what that was going to be. And actually, I originally thought that we wouldn't have enough players to play in the final. Fortunately, we were unable to, you know, give a good account of ourselves. So really, it was just about consoling the guys, talking to them, recognizing any family issues that may be affected in that scenario, making sure we took care of all of that. And then, you know, it's, you know what? We can't go, we can't go. There's nothing we can do about it. What we can do is go to the final and try and win that final. And I thought we put ourselves in a great position to win the final, but for a possession or two down the stretch. So other than that, we, we had a, a day off and then we, the guys who were able to practice, we just had live practices going forward. Most of the other guys joined us on the Monday. And to be honest, we just slowly slid back into regular preparation. I've been incredibly pleased with the, the attitude of the guys, really pleased with how sharp they are, how focused and locked in already they are. I think I've made a big play around what's been taken away from us. And the fact that every time you step on the floor, you make the most of it because you don't know that's the last time on the floor. And so hopefully we go into our first game and we'll see how we go with that. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, just a little bit touching on that, I think that you acquitted yourself tremendously well. I think you spoke very, very candidly. And I think that all BBL fans uh, definitely appreciated that, Vince. But, um, but obviously talking around sort of access of content a little bit as well, Historically, that's been a bit of an issue for BBL fans. I know that we touched base literally just before we came on, but what do you think of the BBL player so far? And um, have you had a chance to watch many teams? I know we've had a few teething issues, but it seems to be a real positive for the league. Oh, in my mind, there's no question it's a positive for the league. I think, yes, there's been a few te teething issues and you know it's going to be like that. And I know some people are complaining. You know, what I would say is don't watch it then. Wait till it's smooth and operational. 100% then come and join us. But we're going to watch it with whatever it takes because I'm not sure who it was that crowned the um, the, the, the uh, sound mix guy as the best defender 
in the BBL on social media, but you know, cloud mix, I think it was or whatever. You know, unfortunately, sometimes you're gonna have to deal with that. So obviously Plymouth, where I was just recently, there, there, there are issues there around the internet. I think also maybe people need to understand that a lot of the venues are shut. You know, the copper box is shut. The Plymouth Pavilions is shut. They simply open to allow us to play and then shut again. So a lot of the services are not there. <clears throat> so, and then people are doing some tremendous work, like the guys down at Surrey, what they're doing with their stuff on, on that. Mm -hmm. Bristol obviously not on BBL player, but slightly, slightly differently. You know, Leicester doing a terrific job. I, I love listening to, to Jeff, Jeff and, and Dave Eldekin up in Newcastle. So there's a lot of that stuff coming and, and the teething problems are slowly going away. The thing with the BBL player is there's so many levels of it and we're just trying to go up the levels and, and slowly improve that, you know. I, I mean, as it happens, like we just said, I went to West Plymouth, so I was able to scout them for the game. But ordinarily, I have to travel to all these places to watch these teams, you know, in a normal scenario. I'd be having to go to Worcester, I'd be go there, I'd be go there. I can actually, like you just said, I'm, uh, you know, game's over, right, let, let me go and check the Leicester game. Let me go and check the Worcester game. Let me, you know, we can do that. And that's incredible. If we just said that three years ago, nobody would have believed us. But bit by bit, you know, I think we improve the quality. I know there's a lot of people working hard behind the scenes, you know, and this is the thing. There are lots of people working hard. No one's taking it for granted, or oh, let's just shove anything out there. Nobody's thinking like that. We're just trying to improve it, and then hopefully it becomes what we all know it can be. I absolutely agree with that sentiment, Vince. It is going to take time. It's not an overnight thing. Um, juxtaposed, obviously, with the likes of the NBA and the NFL, we've seen the Game Pass grow and the, and the streaming culture uh, grow exponentially in the last couple of years. Are you an NBA guy, Do you, or are you more sort of focused on Europe and other leagues? No, I, I'm, I'm an NBA guy. I'm, I'm an NBA Europe guy. I watch all basketball. I mean, I, I drive them nuts in my house. I mean, I'm watching basketball <laughs> all the time. I like certain teams and I like to see what certain teams do. So I follow that as a result of that. And obviously, you know, uh, what's happening at Brooklyn is of interest to everybody. We know the Lakers and, and how they're juggernauting along. So you like to see all of that stuff. I mean, for me, I'm a Bulls fan first. And a, and a kind of Lakers fan as well. Only because oh no! I like to hear oh, that. No. I've been out. I've been outnumbered, Vince, by Knicks fans for the last couple of pods. So <laughs> this is this is this is very good news. <laughs> and, we're, and we're back to the norm. We're back. To no, the no, norm. It's, it's it's, uh, it's it's due to my age because you know when the um, when the Lakers were three peating, you know, with Rambis and all those kind of guys. You know, I had those T-shirts, but I was still playing and young at that time. So I really, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic, all that stuff. You know, James Worthy. I loved all of that stuff, but. Obviously, meeting Michael in Jordan in '96, uh, in talking to him, you know, staying in touch with him, then I became a Mad Bulls fan. And we'll all go in there, terrific. So yeah, it kind of. I, I don't know if you're allowed to have two NBA teams. But... <laughs> <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. No, we were going to say as well, like. Obviously, yeah, Luol was a, a big part for me as well. And then Derek Rose after that, for obvious reasons, because he was just spectacular. But I obviously, you know, read about your uh, relationship with the Ball family as well. So I assume you're keeping up with Lamelo and his movements. He's just had, I think, a 35-point game last night in yeah. contention for Rookie of the Year. How closely do you follow him and kind of keep Well, I watch him all. And I've just asked the bar to send me one of those I told you so t-shirts. <laughs> 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 because I Because, hey, he told everybody. Nobody was listening. You know, yeah. laughing at him and this and that. He was right. You know, he was right. I mean, what he's done is tremendous. And I think, on a serious note, what he's done in allowing players and player representation to think about themselves as, as a brand and, and as a product and how they impact the club they play for, how they impact basketball in general uh, off the floor, I think that's really important. And I see a lot of young men now thinking in that way. And this is really important because at the end of the day, you know, you've got to maximize your talent for however long display it. Got yourselves uh, in the Lions with Joe Kim and everything he does with the Cyber Nerds, which is yeah, something I'm, I, I very much enjoy. And uh, and you just seen Kofi last night as well, haven't you? Share his uh, 
his advertising campaign with Mini. So, you know, it's great to see these guys, you know, in high places in the league doing great no, things. It's important. As well. It's important. I mean, we always talk about building a brand and building our stars, our, our stars playing for us in our leagues, whoever they may be. You know, Cameron Hildreth, you know, landed on, on the scene earlier on and they had a big splash last night. You know, you mentioned Joe and Kofi. I think Kofi's a guy that we should all be looking at because, you know, he carries himself in that way and, 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 and he's aware of that. You know, and some of our other guys maybe are not quite aware of the impact that they could have. And I think, I know Kieran Achara, for instance, is thinking about how he can galvanize some of the guys into understanding this and working together, you know, because I think uh, I think this is very important for us to represent, you know, player-wise. You know, I'm player-focused. You know, yes, I'm an owner. Yes, I'm a coach. But I was a player. And, and, and so, you know, I come from that angle that I come from. Let's do this. Let's get it right for the players. Because if it's right for the players, it'll be fine for the league. What year was it, Vince? I was reading it the other day. Like, you, did you do all three in one year? So you played, coached, and owned a club, right? At one point. And uh, there was only one year when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's a lot of stuff. I know you're a busy man, but right. I think it was our first consecutive <laughs> year in Hemel when I did all of that, you know. And uh, I remember my my first game in charge was going back to London Towers. Because obviously, as you know, I used to own the Towers before we sold that myself, uh, Paul Harbridge, and Roy Charles. And we went down there to play against the Towers, and Kevin was coaching with. Charlie Bannerman on the side as an assistant coach, you know, and Tony Windler said, Vince, you're not going to enjoy this. And boy, oh boy, did they smash me about on the floor. So I thought it wasn't going to be something I would have do for a long time. Um, it's too much. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't blame you, man. But going back to the, the Ball Brothers, obviously, Leangelo has kind of been in and around. He, he came to the Lions game against yourselves a couple of years ago, had a little bit of a stint in the G League and with the Pistons. How, how do you sort of see his development? Obviously, we've seen Lamelo make the jump, but do you think he could be someone that kind of makes that NBA jump? Or it's going to be tough for him to make that NBA jump. Not because I don't think he can. I just think you know the NBA right now. It's about what extra do you bring? Everybody's strong. Everybody's an athlete. Everybody can. Everybody can jump. Everybody do that. This, that, and the other. What is it that you bring different? And maybe that's where he's not as versatile as his brothers because they bring different things. You know, least of all the size of the younger one the smarts of the older one, the experience of having played in, in, in college as well, because don't forget he breaks that which the others don't bring. So I think that's the only thing that might might hold him back. But as far as his, you know, his technical abilities and stuff like that, you know, he could be. Where he goes, I, I mean, first of all, also, I don't think they gave him a, a shot, really. I, I mean, I, I don't think he played, wasn't it? Yeah, no, he just... played any of those games. So it would have been nice to have seen that. But there are many ways to get to the NBA. I think that's one thing that we've learned. There are many ways to get to the NBA. So it's not the end for him, I don't think. I think... You know, we have to see if some teams in Europe want to look at that situation. Maybe he goes back to he goes to Australia like his younger brother. Maybe that piece kicks him back in. But at the end of the day, I know there'll be GMs out there thinking, oh, he's on the edge, he's on the edge. And someone will take a bite on it and see what happens. So I don't think it's over. We're, we're hoping you can break some news on the Two Brits podcast, but uh, we, we won't see him on in, in a London Lions uniform anytime soon. Listen, we, we wouldn't mind seeing him on a, in a London Lions uniform. And, and I think that's something that's the possibility. I tried to do it before, I, you know, I don't see why we can't do it again. We have the support to do it. I think it, it, it speaks more maybe to our longer term plan of what we want the London Lions to be in future. We want the London Lions to play at the highest level of European basketball. We want the London Lions to be a place where people think, hang on a minute, this is a great place I could play if I'm not in the NBA, either as a step into the NBA or as a step down. You know, what's happening to all those players? Just think about, you know, if you look at the drafts over the last 10 years, and have a look at the guys who aren't in the top 20, who aren't in the top 30. How much worse are they than those guys? And where are they now? You know, so isn't there a couple of guys like that high level that we could have playing here? So 
you know, it fits into our long-term plan of getting players like that to come and play in London. It's a good transition. Your high-quality basketball. You can focus on what your NBA potential coaches are asking you to develop, and then hopefully that can be a step up. Fantastic, and that brings us on to to Cam and you know his his big night last night. Um, obviously, I think everyone kind of went straight from if they if they didn't watch the game before, uh, went from the Bristol to Plymouth game over to the Scorchers game to see his debut. What impressed you of his uh, out of his debut there? And and is obviously he was someone that I think you said recently that. If you could start a franchise with any British player, you would you would choose Cam. Yeah, I think you would. I, I think you know what, what impressed me the most was that he just did what he's been doing, you know, which is play with responsibility, uh, look to score the basketball, feel free to drive forward. He's not a shrinking violet. I think those things were important because he stepped on the stage. I think it's helped him immensely that he was playing against a team that he knows inside out, right? You could just tell that by the buckets he was scoring. <laughs> he was like, oh, come on, now, guys, I do this every week. Um, so that's been a huge step up, uh, sort of a, a huge helping hand for him. But he, that doesn't surprise me. I fully expected him to do exactly what he did. I'm, I'm glad they gave him the time to do that. I think the situation with Hicks allowed him to get more time. So, so that was good, which was really important for the end of the game. But no, it, it doesn't surprise me. And I think the kid is going to great places. I'm sure you would have been watching the Newcastle Flyers game recently quite closely. I, the, the other thing I wanted to mention as well was obviously, you know, the, the last couple of weeks, I'm, I'm you know, very sure would have been a difficult thing to to process and, and go through. But looking back to you know your matchup with Neptunus in September, obviously the way that the British basketball fans and, and community kind of rallied behind the Lions was something that me for me personally at least I, I've not seen before. You know, with situations like that and with situations like the, the the fever cut, how important is it to have everyone united and behind the Lions like they have been? I think that was very, very, very nice to see. I have to say that, you know, I got a lot of messages directly from individuals, both coaches, staff, players, fans, and then seeing it, you know, showing itself in, in, in people's expressions on social media was, was very, very heartwarming for, for, for me personally. Uh, but for British basketball, I think, I think it's important that we go out there and represent. You know, I hope that, you know, next year, because you look at all the clubs with a lot of ambition, you know, Plymouth have shown that they want the, they want to, want to taste some of that. They've got the ambition for that. Newcastle and Leicester with the, the growth of those clubs over the last seven to 10 years shows you they have an ambition for that. I mean, I, I hope for the time when there's four or five teams, you know, competing in Europe. I think in order for us to do that, we have to raise our ambition as a league. There are people in the league at the moment who want to keep everything mediocre or, or what's the word I can use you know, artificially manage the situation. I don't think that's where we should be because we don't want to follow the lowest common denominator. What you want to do is is have a standard base of what a BBL club should be. Now, we talked earlier on about some of the, the, the uh, people working hard behind the scenes, some of the volunteers, some of the new people coming on board. I mean, most BBL clubs don't have, you know, 10 and 15 employees, whereas every European club has that and more. You know, and that's where the strength of the BBL is going to come from. It's going to come from us as businesses and organizations that can grow ambition and push upwards. And that's what we need to do. I mean, if the lowest common denominator club in the BBL was Leicester, can you imagine where the league would be, right? It would be sensational and we have to drive for that. And we see ourselves trying to fight for that at the top end right now. We hope others will join us to do that because I think people were excited, the fans that were excited as we went out there to see us play some other people, to see us take a bunch of English players, you know, Joey Kinwin and, and uh, Jules and Justin and Matthew Bryan, take these British players that we all know and take them to that stage together representing. I think that's important. Imagine more so we start doing that across the country. 
So it, it's something I, I could see the fire lit for the fans. And I hope that we can continue to do that. So no, no, absolutely that. And I think that showcasing um, great players despite being shorthanded in, in the BBL Cup final will certainly go a long way towards that. I mean, in a short space of time, as we've already kind of said, you had to regroup greatly shorthanded to be up against a very tough Newcastle Eagles team. Having played them four times already this season, split in the season series, you were without long-term captain Joe Kimrim and stars in Liggins, amongst others. Obviously, you had to go without your bigs as well. Um, how difficult was it to amend your game plan in such a short space of time? Yeah, it was difficult to amend the game plan, that's for sure, because you know we were trying to prepare all week and then, and then not being able to practice all week allowed us to, to have other things in our head. So that, that was a big thing. So it, it was more about trying to empty our head from the disappointment to focus on what was in front of us. I was aided by the players because the players were very, very much focused on playing and playing to the best of their ability. So so that was made it easy for me to manage that. In terms of the missing guys, I mean, we missed them all, don't get me wrong. Joe, we missed his presence hugely. Liggins clearly the best player in the league and we missed every aspect of what he does. But in terms of actually winning that game, what we missed was, was Chris Taiwa and, and, and Faz to get us a couple of rebounds because whilst we survived to a, to, to a greater extent, you just can't have that much of a disparity in a final with a team as good as Newcastle Eagles who on any given year would have a team to win the league as do the Leicester Riders. But we gave up so many rebounds that in the end it was going to cost us and, and it was just one too many in that huge rebound that uh, Justin Gordon got uh, towards the end. So I think if I could have moved one piece, it would have been one of the bigs in and that that would have hopefully secured it for us. But it was, you know what, it was a kind of cathartic experience because it, we thought we could do nothing. Now we had the opportunity to play and put ourselves in a position to win a game. And it really helped our guys to do that. And more importantly, the guys who were in isolation, I think it really helped them to see us doing that on their behalf. And that was a good thing for us. Yeah, you must have been very proud of the guys. It was a, an extremely tough effort, and I think it was a very, you know, good showcase of Lions basketball, despite the fact you were you were short-handed. Obviously, you talk, talking about the bigs, having to deal with one of the best bigs ever in the BBL in, in Darius Defoe and new import Maxwell, who's been playing incredibly well this year. It was exasperated a little bit in the early, I think, second quarter, maybe middle of the second quarter, when when Walker picked up his third foul. You know, how tough was that? Obviously, I think one of the things that you mentioned quite early on, I might have even been in the interview in pre-game, that you, you, were, you wanted to make sure that those guys were staying out of foul trouble for obvious reasons. Did that, you know, almost exasperate it a little bit further? Yeah, it hurt. I mean, more so the fact that a couple of those were kind of unnecessary. I, I thought a couple of them were unnecessary. We could have avoided it. Now, they're the fouls that you might have probably taken in a regular game. But when you haven't got any backups, they're the kind of ones you almost have to let go. I mean, I think there was a drive and dunk by Justin Gordon where I think everybody could see that as soon as he made a hard step to the bucket, Dirk Williams just stepped away and allowed him to go. In a normal game, Dirk goes after that. So those are the kind of ways in which we had to play when you're short-handed. And, and I thought the guys did a great game, uh, a great effort. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's our fault. We, you know, we had two or three possessions down at the end there where we should have executed much, much better. But, you know, when you're riding an emotional wave, sometimes it's difficult to, to, to manage the ebb and flow of that. And we had ridden that emotional wave to get us the six or seven point lead. What we needed to do was bring it down quickly and stop the emotion. But that just took more than one possession to do. And by that time, the Eagles were right back in. How difficult is that as well, Vince, in terms of when you're riding that wave of emotion? I mean, you guys came from such a big deficit 
15 points down. It was clear to see that the high energy, you know, of the guys that you did have available, namely Dirk Williams, um, Justin, the great floor leader. But how difficult is it to kind of keep that focus where you've got to execute, but also ride that wave of emotion in insinuating circumstances? Well, that's what we try and do, and that's what you try and replicate in practice. I mean, Justin Robinson is who you're referring to there. And I mean, obviously, Justin has been there and done that and, and is a leader for us, but also he's a hard driver for us. You can see how, how upset he was at the end. He was upset at the loss and upset that we, you know, we didn't get it done because he's all about getting it done. But it's important that you can execute on the different conditions. And we had people in position at the end of the day, day really, that weren't used to being in that position at that time. So I think the two turnovers that I think particularly cost us was Orlando Parker having the ball stolen by um, Cortez Edwards on a dribble and, and I think Shane Walker having the ball stolen on a, on a dribble. Those are both our big men. Normal scenarios, they're not making that move. That move is being made by somebody else and they're the recipients of that. So, yeah, it's, you know, it is what it is. We just have to, you know, understand that that's how basketball goes. And But yeah, you know, as a coach, you've got, you, you need the emotion because you need all of that stuff to drive you forward. You need to make sure the turnovers don't come as a result of that. You, you talked about experience, and you know, Dirk was mentioning in the uh, the, the post game interview with Ivan, I think, about the fact that it was his first final. He was obviously someone that was definitely catalyst in that comeback. A lot of big threes, a nice fast break dunk, things like that. You moved him onto Fletch defensively, I think, at the half. What what was your your thought process in, in doing that? And I think that you know very much was a big part of making that comeback from 15 points down. Yes, it was. I mean, he's, he, you know, he'd been jumping at the bit all season to have a go at Fletcher. I've been holding him back. Thought that was a right opportunity to try it. And it worked to some extent. But, you know, you make you make changes as, you know, as a coach and you hope they work. I mean, we already knew coming into the game that, you know, Fletcher plays big in, in the finals and that's exactly what he did. So whether it was Dirk on him or whoever on him, you know, he still got his averages in finals as Danny Rowlett will tell you when he got the so, so The stats but, guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, we, you know, we've got a lot of weapons, you know, that's one guy, and, you know, obviously we've got the opportunity to put Liggins on him another time, we've got an opportunity to put Jules Dangakoto, who's one of our better defenders on him another time. We will try different things because this is a very, very good player. You know, he's not a multiple-time MVP for no reason, he's very smart, knows what his team needs of him, and we respect him a lot. No, absolutely that, man. And, and we did see Newcastle struggle to get into their sets at times with Fletch on the bench. From a Lions perspective, how important is it to have a seasoned leader and primary ball hander in Justin Robinson? And obviously, he's had to kind of adapt his role a little bit this season, two-time league MVP, and obviously with the arrival of DeAndre. How impressed have you been with that transition from him? I'm very impressed, but, you know, I, I have higher expectations for Justin and, and I have a high regard for him. You know, he comes from a great pedigree from his basketball education to Jimmy Rogers, and um, he will always do the right thing. So. I mentioned it elsewhere, Justin and I spoke in the summer and he said, Vince, if you're picking somebody in, make sure they're better than me because then I can share the load. I don't want to be carrying this load all the time. And, you know, we found a way for that for that to happen so that Justin can express himself and Liggins and Kevin and Doug, everybody else can express themselves. But it just shows you the quality of the man and that's what Justin's about, you know. And it's, you know, it's great that he does the two MVPs and he's, he's grateful and happy to do that. But only if we win. <laughs> you know, I think he'd rather win all the time and have no MVP. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and final thing on the on the cup final, Vince, and thank you for, for talking us through it. Despite all the obstacles, just, just try and put into context for us how proud you are of the organisation, of the players that were able um, to put in such a captivating final. It really was a spectacular 
um, spectacle. It really was for BBL fans, and I'm not just talking about your waistcoat either. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I really appreciate that. And a lot of people said to me, it was like watching Marvin Hagler in one of those monster fights with uh, Tommy Hurz or whoever it was. The organization have stood by me clearly and, and the support that we have behind the scenes is tremendous to cope with everything because you know, there was a lot to deal with, then to relocate to Leicester from Worcester and blah, 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 lots, lots of stuff. And you know, we have good people in our organization who have helped us do that. As I said, the, you know, the, the players were very driven for that. I was very proud of them, I have to say. When things were tough, they stood up and they, did, they could have easily looked for ex other excuses somewhere along the line, you know, but none of them were interested in that. They were, they were hell-bent on getting the championship. So, no, no, I mean, that's that's what I try to cultivate at this club and I'm just pleased that guys buy into that. And, and moving into the ways that which you've managed to construct uh, this, this Lions roster this past season, I think it's fair to say that, obviously, as we've kind of already touched on, you know, the additions of the NBA calibre player in DeAndre Liggins, the former Sheffield Shark in Dirk Williams, who's been able to score so efficiently for you guys this season, and obviously Kevin Ware as well. What unique challenges does that present to you as a coach? There are a lot of challenges there, the coach, and a lot of challenges organisationally, because when we look at it now, and, and you know, we've come off a game like a Friday night <clears throat> last night with so many games going up, on, on, up and down the country, I think it's important to remember that in August, it didn't look like we were going to be playing any BBL basketball. Neither did it look like it in September or October. So I was recruiting players really to only play in European competition. In talking to the guys, it was like, look, we don't know what's happening with the BBL. It's up and down, but FIBA have confirmed they are playing, whether it's home and away, whether it's in a bubble, whatever it is. So we may end up just playing the European game. So that's what we did. Then it's about how do you balance the team and how do you balance the guys that you're looking for? And my goal was to find guys I thought that had a reason to want to be successful at this level. And I look at Dirk, you know, Dirk is a guy who we know is high caliber. He just needed to be in the right situation, gunning for the right things. And I felt that he could be even better than he was. And I think you could see that for yourself. The way he's playing is off the charts. You know, DeAndre Liggins, he has, his resume is unparalleled, but he hasn't won anything. He wants to win something. He's had a couple of trips to Europe that be neither here nor there. This was an opportunity, and the way we spoke to him about it was, <clears throat> you can change the face of British basketball by being the guy who led the team to European wins. And that was a reason for him to come. Kevin Ware, I love because, you know, for someone to recover and come back from what he has recovered and come back from, this is a guy with a lot of fortitude. And that's the kind of guy you want to be around. So that's how we continue to build the squad. And and so we got guys here who I thought for the right reason. In terms of managing them, to be honest, it's been easy. It was just a case of shuffling from the early days to trying to balance out who we get the minutes here, where, when, and wherever. So no one has complained to me about anything. I've shuffled them around enough times. You know, we can do different things. We can rest certain players. I think we rested Liggins, we rested Robinson, we rested Kevin, you know, and we'll continue to do that if it suits what we're doing at the moment. But at the moment, they're still focused on being champions. And I think, you know, they're happy with the way it's going. In addition to that, obviously, you've had the, the addition of Orlando Parker who hit the game winner not too long ago. It seemed that, you know, obviously he's a high-level talent himself. It kind of started coming together when he joined the club. Like there was, as you say, there was the teething issues to start with, but it all seemed to start clicking when, when he was added to the team. How, how impactful do you think he, he has been? Was he a kind of a key part of that? Yeah, he was very much part of it. But also, I mean, the reason we needed that was because of the long-term injury to Joshua Hibbert, because he would be playing in that position. That was part of the reason we got ourselves into that position. I, I'm so excited that it's working out so well for Orlando because we were very close with three guys and 
you could have had any one of the three guys and there was something about Orlando that stood out when I look at the background of him and, and stuff like that I thought this could be the guy you know and it's turned out to be that and he's a guy who just wants to fit in with the rest of the team the rest of the team love him he just executes and executes he's just a perfect blend you know on the floor and mentally that we require and as you can see you know I think well I don't know I won seven straight in the league or eight straight in the league or whatever it is with him on, on, on there and yeah you know he's helping us play even better basketball but I think the buzz was very much surrounding kind of Liggins and where at the beginning of the season but obviously how much of the ascension of Dirk Williams to this level you, you talked about already you thought there was things there but how impressive that have you been like he's in the MVP conversation averaging 18 plus points 60 percent from two and nearly 50 percent from three is did you expect that is that something that's kind of exceeding your expectations currently well I mean I, I didn't set myself too many expectations numbers wise or what I thought guys were going to average or do I think the main thing I was trying to see was how they would fit in the team I mean, I don't forget earlier in the season, Dirk wasn't starting. You know, Dirk was coming off the bench, etc. So he's found a way to get himself to be a starter. He's found a way to continue to do what we knew he could always do, which was A, B, athletic, and B, shoot the ball. But he does so much more. You know, and we're encouraging him to do much more. I, I saw one particular move. I think it was a, a home game we played against Leicester. And he was being guarded on the wing by, um, by Lee. And it took a couple of two, three hard dribbles to the wing, from the wing to the middle, and pulled up over Lee and hit the shot. I'm like, I've never seen him do that. And so he's expre expressing himself in so many other different ways. Defensively, he's impacting the games as well. So, he, you know, he, he can be better than we think he, than we already think he is. What's important is he fits into what we're doing. Liggins, where Justin Bay love to find Dirk Williams, and Dirk keeps on working and keeps on working. And I think, you know, right now the blend, the blend works for us. And one of the things that we've, uh, I think, all really enjoyed this season is the level of engagement from players and from the British basketball community on social media, on Twitter and things like that. As a coach, however, I can imagine that does present you some unique challenges at times, one of which being the Andre Liggins aeroplane emoji. <laughs> which, um, which as a coach, I can imagine you're thinking to yourself, God, am I going to, you know, that's going to be an interesting conversation tomorrow. But um, but in, in terms of, I suppose, the lack of European basketball for the remainder of the season, how, how is that going to affect the roster moving forward? Or is the sole focus at the minute just, let's get this season done, let's be champions in the league, let's win the trophy, and then let's focus on the European campaign next year? We have to, because you know we need to, we need to be champions or, or thereabouts to, to get into Europe again. So there's no question that we have to be champions. And, and you know that's something we need to do. I think it's not going to in, in impact movements in the roster. We're not re releasing anybody. You know, the only person that has left us right now is Doral Moore uh, because he can't play in the BBL due to the, the limitations that we have on, on players. So he's gone back home. But no, the rest of the team are here, you know, we've got a lot of games. The way I, I look at the fixtures and I'm thinking, we're playing like every three or four days. So we're going to need those extra legs and those extra bodies. It's <laughs> a busy, busy February for you guys. <laughs> I'm March and April. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Going back to Liggins and obviously the fits that you guys have there, like he was known as a as a defensive stopper in the NBA, a little bit like you've mentioned about Dirk and you know him building on his own game. During his time in the BBL, which we appreciate it hasn't been a huge huge amount yet, but he's shown his full array of talents offensively and I think, you know, that's probably something that you're conscious to, to try and help him build. His court vision, his passing ability is something that's you know, definitely stood out. It's second in the league in assists currently. Is there anything else is, or is there, is there a specific thing that's kind of stood out to you as the most impressive part of his game and, and growth so far? 
Oh yeah, I mean, you know, this is a high-level player, by the way. He can he can do anything he wants on the basketball court. If he wanted to lead the league in scoring, he could do. You know, he's shooting 60 percent from the three. You know, he's almost like just having fun. <laughs> literally, he's literally just having fun. You know, he says to himself, oh, I think I get 10 assists, he go get it. Oh, I get 10 rebounds, he go get it. I get 30 points, he go get it. He can do it. The thing that I've been impressed with, and bear in mind, it's a huge transition and it's a change and so many things like that. But it's just how hard he works. He's never on the basketball court not working hard. And that has helped us because the others have become the same. He just works hard all the time. He plays at a high intensity level and it's making the players better. You know, it complements what Justin has. It means it makes Dirk work harder. Jules is just flourishing on under those conditions as is Jordan Spencer. So it's that hard work ethic because it means we have good practices. When your best players are your hardest workers, everybody's got to join, you know, and you end up having super high level practices. And I think that's one of the real things that, because he could have been a prima donna, he could have picked and choose what nights he practiced, picked and choose that market, none of that. He was a lot quieter when he came than how he is now. Now he's a joker in, in the pack and, you know, him and Andre are always having running stuff. You know, him and our team managers, you know, it's great stuff. And I, it, it makes me smile inside when I see it on the court. You've mentioned many times as well in terms of, you know, looking to include the British players in your team. You obviously had, I think, 10 British players in the team that you won the league with not long ago. And you've got role models such as Joe, Andre, Justin, um, that, that mean already a lot to the community. I think in the, in the warm-up for the Basketball Champions League, you said to be successful, to be a successful team in any country, you have to have some level of continuity with your players. Our team has won the league last year, 10 of the score were from London, and that's massive. And we talk about British talent a lot. We have on this podcast a number of times coming come and how important that continuity is. But forgetting logistics for the moment, a little bit of a, a hypothetical scenario for you, and obviously especially with seeing Cam doing so well at the moment. How, how strong do you think the league would be if we were to obtain all British talent? And, and you know, where do you think we could get to? Even all the British talent out there, like in Europe, in the States, blah, blah, blah. Everywhere, if we if we'd have everything and it was it was domestic. Well, I, I mean, we'd be very good, wouldn't we? I mean, if you look at some of the guys who are, who are playing in college in the States right now, you know, Kane Henry, Brahim, some of those guys, you know, they are high level players, definitely European level players. Then you look at our guys over there in Europe already, you know, Gabe Olaseni at the highest level, Miles Hessen, Hmm. A tremendous, tremendous talent. I don't know what's going to happen with, with Brexit in action come next season. On the face of it, our British players will become foreigners in Europe because we're not part of the EU. So, you know, they can't play as Europeans. So they would have to make a decision whether you take Mike James at Cheska Moscow or you take Gabriel Asseni or, you know. So that may have an impact on our British players. You know, I have, it hasn't been written, it hasn't been said because the way I look at these kind of things is let's see what's happening with the Premier League. You know, are the Premier League able to play Europeans here as Europeans? Because obviously they're not. I mean, I mean, they are Europeans, but they're not. They're not British. So how is that going to impact it? So I do think there's still some stuff to come out and wash as far as who can do this and who can do that. There's a host of guys in college in the states at the moment who might be thinking that they want to either use the BBL as a stepping stone into Europe or they want to jump go straight into Europe as the league level continues to rise. But if they're foreigners, they're not going to get those jobs. I mean. The last two British players that played as foreign players in Europe, Steve Bucknell and uh, Joel Moore. You're talking about high-level players there. That may well shake some stuff out of the woodwork, but to be able to have more and more British players, you're going to need that. We're going to need that if you want to be competitive in Europe. You know, watching that FIBA Europe Cup, you saw the Polish team with a bunch of Polish guys in there. 
Ukrainian guys, you know, eight, nine, ten local guys. The German teams have the same. We're going to need that to be successful in Europe. And I think we've also got to really understand that mindset. Our mindset is to win in Europe, not just play in Europe. It's to win in Europe. And hopefully, our British guys come along with that with that mindset, so that we can actually enjoy doing this and and, and rectify what I believe has been wrong for a long time that. We can't play in Europe. We can play in Europe. There's a way in which we need to play in Europe with our British guys. I'm just biting on that opportunity to, to try and prove that. No, absolutely. And a little bit, I suppose, on that is the emphasis on the academies. Um, we talk a lot about the glory days, but in your podcast on the Hoops Fix, you referenced how much better the academies for teams are compared to those days in the 90s. Despite the obvious heightened terrestrial TV coverage, you've spoken about the differences between Milton Keynes and London in terms of academies and sponsorship opportunities. What additional support have you provided to D1 Outfit Barking Abbey uh, since your merger and what are your goals for the partnership? Today, support for them has been fairly limited at the moment because the pandemic is, is a problem in, in realizing some of our partnerships and not just with, with them, but with others as well. You know, being associated with a school, you know, they've already had you know, three or four lockdowns vis-a-vis -vis coronavirus, you know, so there's a bit of isolation there. The games were either on or they weren't on and all this kind of stuff. And very, you know, we would like a situation where some of the guys there, you know, Veron Eze and guys like this can come and train with us. But the pandemic has just kind of put a kibosh on so many things. At the moment, you know, we've got the men's team there. We've got that situation going on with enough staff. We've got the, the Women's London Lions, they're now practicing right next to us, wearing the same uniform, strengthening that team, trying to get that movement going. The university is a key cog in the wheel for the link with the Bafkin Abbey situation because we want to be able to have the university as an outlet for the guys coming out of, of the academy and being able to come into university whilst also playing with the Lions. So there's a nice little juxtaposition going on there. Same with our New City College Academy situation, because again, we want some of those guys to be able to be playing with us whilst attending college. So all of that mix can't happen. So that's kind of held that back a little bit. But there's no confusion. In the end, we're going to have a London Lions team from top to bottom, BBL, Division One, European Academy, British Academy, under 18s, under 16s, under 14s, under 12. We're going to have that. It's just a case of trying to get this pandemic out of the way or the vaccinations around the place so that we can actually start doing that. But that's where we're going and that's what we're going to do. That's excellent to hear, man. And uh, obviously, yeah, before the events of this year, you had Ovi Soko in your lineup, someone who's obviously had a lot of press around uh, in terms of not only what he did on Love Island and playing domestically, but when he moved to Le Mans, I think there was a little bit of criticism um, going his way in terms of whether he had kind of missed an opportunity perhaps for the British game. And obviously you've spoken about this before a little bit in terms of the calibre of player he is and, and wanting to make his own progress with his own career. But how did you feel about the criticism in inverted comms that he received when leaving? And on a, on a lighter note, are you watching the NBA watch-alongs that he's doing on Sky Sports at the moment with Mo Muncy and the, the guys up there because they've been they've been pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, no, they're doing a great job. They, especially you know distancing and so on. They're doing a terrific job. But vis-a-vis <clears throat> -vis Ovi, I mean, I don't know why anybody would criticize him. You know, you're a sportsman. You're at a high level. You've got to do the best for yourself. The fact that the the, the show propelled him into even more public image situation was always going to happen. The way he carried himself in the show, he was tremendous. And I've said it to him many times, I'm proud of the way he represented himself because 
you know, that's a mad show, right? That, and people, a lot of people on there haven't represented themselves the right way and definitely post it, haven't done a great job. Now, I, I take my hat off to how Ovi has had to deal with some of the stuff he's had to deal with because it must be mentally taxing, you know, what he went through. I don't know, you know, I've seen the documentary he made about some of the counseling situations with, with ex-participants and things like that. And that's obviously a new thing. I'm not sure that was prevalent really at that time. I think people were quickly, rapidly thinking, shit, we've got to, I mean, sorry, excuse me. We've got to get some stuff in place here because stuff is happening. You know, so I think that, you know, trying to combine that newfound fame, trying to combine the extra work that he was being asked to do from a corporate a commercial situation and trying to do what was necessary to be a high level basketball player like he is were all very, very difficult. And in reality, maybe shouldn't have happened. We should have taken one of those away, either stop playing basketball or stop doing this or stop doing that, whichever one it was, you know, but I, I doff my hat to him because he's cooked with that. I do think that, you know, it's a good thing for him to be away right now because he's doing what he does best in France, out of the limelight, to some extent that will allow him to reset himself and, and be the OB he wants to be. But in terms of his talent and, and abilities, tremendous, just tremendous. Oh, absolutely. And uh, moving on to, I suppose, the, the more kind of marketing comms segment of the podcast. I know obviously you're, obviously you've, you've kind of gone, as we said, from the, the circumstance where you were playing, coaching and owning at one point in your career to, to where you are now, obviously having the investment um, and looking to push for European competition with the input of 777 partners. How, how has that transition been, I suppose? And we'll, we'll, we'll start with a fun one as well in that we talk about social media and things like that. We had Kevin Ware as, as another one early in the season, giving some harsh words potentially to the Sheffield Sharks, calling them trash early, early on in the season, getting called out by Tom Bonnet of the Scorchers and the infamous, infamous t-shirts that have come uh, on the back of that. What is your viewpoint in that? Is that something that you would like to see more of and it's good for the league? Is it, you know, some somewhat unnecessary or, or how do you feel about that side of things? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll deal with the last one first around the social media type of thing. And I, I don't see a problem with that. You know, I think, you know, guys can say whatever the hell they want, you know, at the end of the day. So if, if Kevin is not impressed by whatever Sheffield may be doing after they beat us, that's up to him to say that, you know. If he didn't say that, there'd be no t-shirts, right, for Tom Bonnet. So I think, and here we are in February talking about something that happened in September. So, so that's good stuff, you know, and I think we should do more of that. I think too many people are too shy and, and quiet and just say what the hell you think you know and at the end of the day it's not going to change the result of any games right the guys are going to come out and, and play now unless you're afraid that someone's going to come and try and bust your gut because you said something i don't think anybody is so uh, you know i think i think it's good i think we should we should do that because what did we say we said it's a player's game right and we want to talk about the players and the players should talk about it themselves so i think that's a big thing that we yet don't have here if we want our players to be at the forefront, then we need to know who they're like, what, what they're like and who they are. You know, how, how what's this guy like? How do, you know, there, there are some guys around the league, I, I don't know anything about them. I don't know what their voice sounds like. I don't know what they think about X, Y, Z. You know, if I was a fan, you pick any team you like, I, I don't know what that guy sounds like. I mean, Lyle Hexham has just gone home. I was looking forward to seeing this guy play. I don't know anything about him. I couldn't tell you anything. So he's been to the league, he's sensational, really, in every game he's played, I'm gone. I think we need to do more. I mean, Brady at Manchester also looks like a huge character. He, he he was mouthing off in the game against us, and blah, 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 which we won, by the way. You'd have thought we'd lost in the way he was mouthing off. But I'll say <laughs> that, you know, he's a guy I think is a real character that we should be hearing more of. I'd love to hear more from him, you know? I'd love to hear more from Gareth Murray. But I, I don't know where it comes from, whether it comes from the players themselves having to put that stuff out or whether clubs, I mean, clubs, clubs are a bit uptight. 
I'd love to know much more about that because that's how you get your affinity, right? We, we know the players we like in the NBA and what they say and how they say it, right? And it's because of what they say or what they don't say. So so, so that bit there, that's cool. In terms of the, some of the, I think you said about the commercial side, you said you were asking me. For me personally, it hasn't been an issue because, you know, I've been working on this deal for some time. In order to make it work, I had to reconcile myself to what my future position was going to be over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And once I had reconciled my, myself to that position as the head coach of this organization, still a significant owner of the business, still influencing some of the direction that we go, and really wanting the opportunity to go up and contest ourselves in Europe. Once that was something I could do, I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't need to go and sell another sponsorship or sell some, some more tickets. There are people better than me that can do that. I think the, the, the key is that we have an organization that can take that and decide what level it wants to put it at. And, and as long as we can get to that right level, that's going to be good for everybody in the organization. I mean, the organization is completely committed to a very long-term plan for the Lions and for British basketball. So I'm sure you will soon see a number of significant developments over these next few months. And as someone with a background in film mentioned in the past, key motion was in stage one of eight, approximately. With the obvious criticisms and several failures early, you still have faith and confidence that, you know, key motion can represent the BBL at a good level? I think it can get better and I think it can represent us. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself why you did something, right? So if you start by saying, let's televise a game, how would you want to do it? Yeah, we want six cameras, blah, 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 two commentators, replays, all of that kind of stuff. Anybody would say that. We would all want that. Then you ask yourself, well, that's going to cost you X. Can you replicate that over 300 games? Ah, we can't do that. So what can we do? Well, what you could do is you could actually cover all of the games, it wouldn't be at that level, it would be a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but you'd have all the games. Oh, that does sound interesting because then at least you can get it out there and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of where we are. Then you say, you mustn't fall asleep to the situation when actually we've got a bit more money. Well, should we carry on that key motion stuff? Well, we could do, or we could just do it all the way we wanted to do it in the first place. Ah, let's do it then. So are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. And if we had a different world, we'd be having an NBA conference. I think it's horses for courses. We could say, do we just want one game a week that's nicely done, like we have sensational work by Buzz 16 on the Sky coverage, or do we want everybody? You know, and, and there's pros and cons for that, because streaming, as you said earlier, streaming, hits on, on, uh, on the internet, blah, 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 could actually get you to a lot more people. That's where we were, and that's what was the decision. You know, how we go from here and what investment comes into the league and how we manage that and what that might be is yet to come, but may have an impact on, on whether we stay with, with with that stuff as well as or instead of or, or whatever. Yeah, I guess I guess I was just wondering if there's like a key kind of aggression ladder as to what where key motion can get to. There I is. I mean, like a... first of all, you know, stop missing fast breaks. I think everybody like deal with that. And by the way, that is easily done by having two more cameras. This end. That's the next yeah. day. You could very quickly, boom, there it is. And there's no more of that. And then people will start talking about, well, it kind of looks like a fish eye at sorry. Well, yeah, it looks like a fish eye because no space. You know, yeah. and sorry have come up with their own solution, you know. It can be looking a bit like a fish eye at Sheffield, you know, but they're coming up with their own version as well. They've got the camera behind the basket now, which looks really good. So yes, you could there are many steps you can take, but you know, I think the clubs need a bit of education from Key Motion as more technical assistance as to the bits that we can improve. I mean, you can do replays on Key Motion. You wouldn't think you can, but you can. So yeah, we need to rapidly get ourselves through those phases to where we're showing the best of what we've got. 
it does seem like especially compared to the you know the first time we we saw it even a month a month two months in it's equaling out it's becoming more more and more consistent so yes. like you say just hoping that you know once the the initial bit of funding from the bbl player comes in like that can that can start upgrading quickly but like but like you say the sky sports coverage has been absolutely incredible so far we've been trying Amazing. to catch those. i mean it's so so good to see you know so good to see you spoke about the um in the owners panel with sam at Hootsfix about doing a better job uh, or needing to do a better job with the players not only on the court but kind of outside the court to make it you know a more comfortable and attractive place to be across the league not not just at the lions and something you said you know you felt was key in kind of breaching the gap between you know the attractiveness of say the us um for younger players and here do you think that sky coverage is kind of a key to that puzzle, I suppose, and has it gone some way to achieving that? And you know, the added professionalism, the ability to showcase themselves, as we just we just talked about, is is that a key component for you? I, I think it's part of it. I, I don't think it has significantly changed anything yet. I think you know it's a key component. We need to extend that deal for sure. And I think some of what's happening around is also showing some stability. You know, I think what's happening with Plymouth, the, the ability to have, you know, a couple of GB guys like like Ashley Hamilton, like Andrew Lawrence, Will Neighbour, having those solid guys down there is huge. Because obviously all the British players will talk to each other about the situation and what's it like over there and how you, how's it going. They're playing for a British coach. That's going to help. You look at Denzel Obiaro, who's playing down there, his progression. No disrespect to Cam or anything. By the time Cam comes out, Denzel will have had seven years pro experience. Now, which is better? I don't know. If Cam goes on to the NBA, the NBA is better. If Cam goes to play for Jessica Moscow, maybe that's better. I don't know. But at the end of the day, in, in four years' time, when he graduates, you're going to have a seven-year pro, Denzel Obiaro, who might be playing in Champions League, may even have a FIBA Euro Cup winner's medal by then. Who knows? You know, so it, it's kind of like that, you see. It's about persuading some of the young English guys to take that chance or, or the ones who maybe don't want to go or can't go. You know, my mom's not very well, so I don't want to go. I want to be close to home. But that means he can't go, so he's got to stay. So where do you want to play? You know, that kind of situation. I do think that's something that's slowly coming along. And we're just waiting for the chance to have a young guy who wants to give that a go. You know, I'm not sure who that young guy is. I mean, I, I mentioned Kane Henry earlier on. You know, he'll be back this time next year. He'll be, he'll be around. Will he be playing in England? Will he be playing at higher levels? I don't know. But he's been there four years he could be playing bbl four years ago and now he'd be a four-year pro so these are you know pluses and minuses i mean when he comes back how much better is he going to be next year than he was four years ago and how would that have changed if he'd have stayed here we don't know and i do think this is a really important juncture as far as the players are concerned i haven't spoken to a lot of the top top academy guys around some of our better academies with some of the you know they send a lot of guys abroad they send a lot of guys to europe you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know because no one's tested it out. We, you know, we've, we've got a few guys here, individual guys here. I don't know is the answer to, to, to that question, but I do think the offering now is becoming better and better, maybe even job security. That's coming along here now. You know, we've got young Jews, Daniel Kodo here, barely 24. He's already been here a second year. If he's here, if he, you know, he knows there's a job here for him, he can continue to grow and develop. That, that's got a lot to say for it as well. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously you've, you've talked about that being one cog, but has, has COVID, I suppose, kind of disrupted your plans a little bit to kind of, for the Lions themselves, kind of build that offering out a little bit for obvious reasons. There's not 100%. as much you can do outside. Um, and, and if so, like what, what, what sort of things did you have planned? 
but I think on the short term, you know, you can talk about how we've been able to get, we've been able to have gotten some of the guys in the academies to come and practice with us on a regular basis, maybe even play with us on a regular basis. I mean, it was our original intention talking to Coach Fair to maybe play the academy guys in the BBL Cup, for instance, stuff like that. Because obviously, don't forget, we would have been doing, if we would have been in home and away with Champions League had we got through. So there would have been some situations where you say, well, you know what, you know, you can almost afford to lose your, your three games in, in the BBL Cup. Give those first three a shot and see if you can get through. You know, that's a possibility. But some of the things we'd like to do in the summer, we want to get the top 40 best young British players into into the University of East London and work out with us and, and listen to what we have to say about the future of British basketball and see if there's something that might attract their interest. We want to do that. Inside, I don't think we can do it looking at June, July and where we are with the pandemic, but things may improve quicker than we think. Those are the kind of things we want to do. You know, we want to reach out to all the British players out there and talk about what's your hesitation to come back to the UK? What would you like to see? What would make help you make that decision? And can we assist? Well, I know that me and Jay have spoken about this a long time. It's very difficult for teams to build a consistent identity and for fans to have that you know, investment and attachment to organisations when you've got an influx of different players, different rosters and moving parts throughout the year. So, so hopefully, like you said, by outlining that and doing that post-COVID, that will hopefully help. In, in terms of yourself, obviously, you're synonymous with British basketball. Most by now, I think, would have seen the MJ interview that you did back in 1985. But, but, but I suppose, uh, <laughs> I suppose, um, who, who would you, if, if you had the opportunity to do something like that today, uh, who, who would you focus on and why? Well, I mean, if I was to do something now, actually, ironically, it would be with my coach, Jimmy Rogers. I have to say that. It really would, because, you know, what we're doing now, he was doing when so many chips were lined up against him. As every day goes, I mean, I already admired the guy when I was with him, never mind now, but just thinking back at some of the things that I faced along the road, you think to yourself, Jesus Christ, how did this guy do this when that there was disinterest, but there were people actively working against him? That's, that's something. And I think Jimmy's journey is something we have to talk about and it's something we have to get out there. I do believe that. I think, so that, that would be my number one. But, you know, in terms of it being MJ and that kind of stuff, I think the younger ball brother would be would be a candidate for that because imagine being the younger of those two with a dad as as outgoing as his <laughs> you know his his thoughts and his mindset it'd be very interesting to get to know you know did he believe everything his dad said yeah you're going to a league son yeah i'm ready dad <laughs> you know it, oh, oh you know and then being able to go out to australia and do what he did in front of ten thousand people and blah 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 and then of course yeah there he is dropping dimes all over the shop so that would be a very, very interesting interview. No, no absolutely. I'd, I'd, yeah, very much second to uh, Jimmy Rogers' side as well. And and I think, you know, that's something we definitely need to focus on at some point. And who will be involved in that would be really interesting, whether it's Buzz 16 or whoever we can we can get to make that. It'd be, yeah, really fantastic to see. But obviously, you know, just since your investment with the 77 partners, you've had a, a number of bits of criticism on some of the marketing, comms, website side of things, which I think you very much overcome and answered, which has been great to see. Like the dedicated website now looks fantastic. You've got uh, Carol on the photography side, Sonia on the, the PR side, which again, we're seeing more and more from across various different high level trade and, and national press and Ivan in the video side. Where do you think you can take that? And I suppose you've spoken about how much of a relief it is to finally have that capacity and it's something that you know obviously you've wanted to do for years how much of a release it had relief is it to kind of finally be at that place it's great and it's coming along i've got to mention aaron who heads up our, our video department and comes up with a lot of those little vignettes that you see 
uh, of the Lions. We're going through a huge transition. I think this is, I know some of the fans have been a little frustrated by the lack of responses on socials, maybe sometimes here, there and everywhere. But, you know, where the guy, where the fans are, some of them, and where we're trying to go are in two different places currently because the, the business is being restructured top to bottom. It's being restructured as a high level operation, but everything can't happen instantly. People have to be, you know, things have to be taken control of. People have to be brought in. People have to get up to speed. You know, identities need to be set. There's a lot of things that are going on. And, and, and so, like you say, with the website coming on board now, we've got a website that, that's where we want it to be. We've got people writing for it. We've got different things like that. The main thing I think is, is that the goals are there for what we want to achieve. People have to bear with us. Now, the business is being taken in a way whereby there's going to be a monstrous relaunch of the lines which coming up. That's going to set the tone for where we're going. We're not there yet. It hasn't happened. It's going to still yet to happen. And I think it's just about behind the scenes. Pe people are moving pieces into place in order to get there. So, so there's still more to come. You know, from my perspective, we're moving exactly in the right direction. People just have to be understanding that this is a whole change. We want to be the equivalent of the best team and organization in, in Europe. That's where we're trying to go to. You know, we want this to be the first step from an NBA team. We want to be there. And there's a way in which it has to happen. Unfortunately, we may, you know, nudge a few people in the back the wrong way from, from time to time but it will get there and uh, people should bear with us. They can, yeah. It's been really, really fantastic to see, you know, the, the consistency of uh, the brand and things like that, even if you aren't at the stage where you're, you know, you're fully rebranded or relaunched. We've also heard about, obviously, from previous interviews with yourself, kind of salary caps from players, but I wondered, is there a new sort of marketing budget for the yourselves and the Lions? Is that something that's kind of taken shape already? Or is that, again, kind of part of that process? Or has that also been altered by COVID, I suppose? Because that's the... Yeah, obviously, a lot of marketing has been, has been affected by COVID because some of the things that we would be doing, we haven't been able to do advertising on the radio, advertising on TV, this kind of stuff. You know, even our big screens, you know, it's fairly pointless because no one's coming to game. So, you know, I think what we're doing right now is a lot of data capture. I think data is the big thing now. And that's what we're doing, trying to collate that ready for when people can actually return and how we can reach out to them. I think that's, that's a, a, a very big one from our side of things. And we have to match that. Um, I don't know if you were asking me to comment on the salary cap or you're just referencing the salary cap. Oh yeah, just just wondering if there's like a, a marketing, like obviously we know what the, the salary cap is now, but I wonder if there's one like a marketing version of that or... No, no, um, there isn't. You can spend whatever you want. I mean, at the end of the day, on, on the marketing side of things, I mean, those big screens that we have in Stratford, both sides of, of West London and East London, are, you know, ordinarily you're talking about the best part of 50,000 pounds a day. We get that for seven times a week prior to every game. Uh, so that's monstrous. Now, we haven't been paying for that, but it's a part pay, part sponsorship situation. Going forward, we'll see what that happens there. But when you start doing TV commercials, radio commercials, they cost a lot of money. So I don't think it's in anybody's interest to stunt the growth of that side of the business. We should invest whatever we can in marketing. I would urge every club to invest everything in marketing, you know, in terms of players and salary cap and that kind of stuff. I think, you know, all our players should be comfortable and we should do the best we can to make them comfortable, whatever that means. You talked about the, the out-of-home side of things at West Have You've obviously had a, an increased social presence recently as well, but in terms of paid activity, you know, have you have you been able to take some of that money and invest it in the more digitalized side of things since COVID or is that something that is still No, I think process? a lot of that's been on hold at the moment. I mean, some of the paid activity that we used to do was basically directed at, around driving tickets. So I think that's that's where you would put your money 
I, I know you can't do that at the moment. So now it's it's about the brand and how it looks. And that's why we spent a lot of time around the brand side of things. You know, you mentioned Carol, Ivan, uh, Aaron. These guys are doing a tremendous job with our, our marketing people as well. Uh, as to what the lines look like and, and, and how we can get engaged with that and improve that look. But it's, you know, it's very difficult to do anything else uh, where we are right now. It's really, really difficult. And with your recent investment, Vince, are other BBO clubs talking and, and asking about your learnings from, from the experiences? Or I suppose in order to go and attain themselves? And if not, do you think that that's something they should be doing in order for us to reach your goal of five teams competing in Europe? Well, we talk all the time uh, as clubs in terms of sharing practices and stuff like that. More so, it's about the drive for ambition, and making sure we have ambition amongst the clubs. You can see from what the guys are doing in Plymouth, very much, you know, driven in that direction. You can see their big, big banners advertising courtside and things like this. We expect to have some more learnings coming from them, from what they do in Turkey, Newcastle, in terms of courtside electronic boards. Leicester, very, very active, as you know, digitally as well as everything else. And Sheffield beginning to, to do some of those things as well. You see Bristol already; they know the route needs to be what they've done for football and rugby. They definitely know the route, and this is a sleeping giant right now. Even on the floor, you talk about the backcourt they've got and things like that. So I think we do share information. We all talk about that. I think it's going into that data age and how we manage data is what we've got to get our heads around. And, and I think more investment we can put into the BBL to get more people behind the scenes to collate that kind of stuff. How we want to promote the BBL, whether it's collectively through the center and things like this will all have an impact. I just feel COVID has, has held us back, all of us from that. And um, it is difficult to do, you know, much else other than play at the moment. So fingers crossed that we do see the back end of this and then we can come out. I do think the fact that you can watch BBL games, the fact that BBL League is still playing is tremendous. Uh, I think that's important because there's no question in my mind that once we come out of this, there's been a shuffle of sports, you know, and this gives us the opportunity to jump ahead of a couple of more sports that maybe were ahead of us in the past. Uh, and we've got to be very nimble to make sure we can grab a place higher than where we've been. Uh, absolutely. I think one one thing again, I haven't haven't seen it necessarily from from the league or anywhere yet. But you know, you see a lot of uh, share of voice trends in terms of like where where sport is in terms of not only viewership from Nielsen but also you know advertising spend and things like that. That would be really interesting to see, as you say, in terms of how that has shifted during this time in in 2020 and 2021. Especially yeah, as you say, when we can open things back up to to crowds and you know utilize that as as much as we can. But moving to the future and things coming up for yourself, like you say, busy busy February. <laughs> busy, busy couple of few months coming up. You know, how much are you looking forward to, to your clash with Plymouth on well tomorrow? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are desperate to play. You know, I think we've just had our 131st practice. You know, <laughs> we want to play games. We want to play yeah. games. So, you know, we're going to play Plymouth. Then we've got to play Leicester in the trophy, the knockout situation. Then we've got to go down to Plymouth. Then I think we play Worcester. So, you know, so, so now it's beginning to roll. We just want to do that. We want to play as many games as possible right now. You know, with the squad is deep, the squad is strong, and it'd be nice to get a run of games. You know, we had a nice run of games when I think we had like four or five games in 10 or 12 days, which we won. You know, a few more of those, you know, get ourselves ahead. You know, we've got the one loss which we're carrying in the league right now, which we had to, to Newcastle. We want to maximize that and put some pressure on people and recognize that we go ahead and win all our games, we win the league. So we've got to keep that position for ourselves. No, absolutely that, Vince. And uh, just before uh, you shoot off, and thank you very much for your time, me and Jay both really appreciate it. We, we like to uh, throw across some quick fire questions for you. So uh, who was a better player, you or Coach PJ? I'll be honest and I'll say PJ because he played at a higher level than he played for England. So 
Uh, who do you think will get to the uh, NBA Finals in 2021? I think the NBA Finals will be between the Lakers and Miami. Oh, nice. Ooh, really big shot. Like it. And uh, MVP of the BBL this season? DeAndre Liggins. So, uh, and with the latest partnership, are we likely to see a Vince McCauley TikTok? Oh, God, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. I mean, it's like, can we get our heads around some more social media? Ooh, man. No, I, I don't, unless unless we're winning uh, the trophy final and I do a dance, then I'll set up a TikTok. My, 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 my personal preference would be the Vince McCauley fist pump that you did in the cup final. It was a spinning fist pump. I loved it. I, I want that all day long. <laughs> Yeah, that, that brings us to the end. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Vince. It's been great to meet you. And, and yeah, yeah, thank you very much for spending the time. No, you know, pleasure to very, chat. Very busy you know, schedule. Really good to get guys from different angles, still in love with the game. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, it's important you guys reach out the way you do via various media channels. And, and uh, we can keep on talking more and more about BBL basketball. Yeah, really appreciate it, Vince. Thank you very much. Thank you.